We've been in this series called The Path to Peace. And what we're talking about is how do we get peace in our lives? You know that like for most of us, we live in a time where this past year has been difficult. It's been hard. There's just been a lot of stuff. I mean, I hope with the vaccines, most of you guys that I've talked to, you're in the process of getting it. You're thinking about getting it or whatever. Numbers are going down. And so it's starting to feel like it's turning a little bit back to normal. But we live in a time where there's so much upheaval, so much hurt, so much discouragement, so much frustration, so much loss. And so we're in this series called The Path to Peace, and we're talking about how do we get peace in our own lives? How do we get peace in our own hearts? How do we find peace where, where even in conflict, it, like it just when we're going through stuff, when we're going through sickness, when we're going through struggle, when we're going through that kid who's just not obeying us or whatever it is that we're facing in life, how do we find peace? peace in the middle of it. And we talked about a couple weeks ago that peace really isn't the absence of conflict. Peace isn't the absence of conflict. That's not really what the Bible teaches us. You know, Jesus says that in this world, you're going to have trouble, but fear not because he's overcome the world. So peace is not the absence of conflict. Rather, it's the presence of God in our lives. Peace and conflict are not opposites. Peace and loneliness are. When you're going through something You can go through it. You can get through a lot of things. If you've got someone, a friend, a family member, husband, spouse, whatever it is, someone who's locking arms with you, someone who's wrapped their arms around, who's praying for you, like you can get through a lot of stuff. You can get through a lot of conflict and and you can get through a lot of things. The Bible talks about in Psalms 23 that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil because you are with me. Right. So peace and conflict are not opposites. Peace and loneliness are. You can be in the battle of your life, but if someone is next to you and you trust them completely, who's the person who's walking with you, you can still find peace in the middle of the storm. Recap the first two weeks of this series. I know because we took a little week off last week, so I want to make sure that we're all on the same page. I want to recap the first two weeks. The first week, the big idea that we talked about was we must trust God more and depend on ourselves less. Peace is not something that we win through struggle. It's not something that we win through our own effort. Peace is given to us by God. So stop trying to protect the little peace that you have. Have you ever done that? I've done that. I've done that where I feel like, man, I've just got a little peace left and there's all this conflict and I got to like protect this. It's like I'm defending the wall. You know, it's like a siege mentality of like, I just got to protect this little piece that I have left. And, and that's really not what the Bible teaches us. We, we can trust God to give us more peace when we need it. The second week, uh, this is two weeks ago, the week before Easter, we said that the big idea was that we must stay in our lane and do what is ours to do. This doesn't mean that we withdraw from things or we don't engage in, in, in anything and just be like, well, it's my peace and, and anything y'all are worried about. No, that's all you No, But we talked about this idea of a burden. And so many times people are, are in the middle of and get in the middle of all kind of things and they want to get in the middle of every little fight and every little social media brawl and all these little things. But really what happens is, is God gives us a burden to carry and it's a problem that we have to work out. You can't expect someone else to carry a burden for you and you can't expect someone else to carry your burden because God has given it to you. And so when we talk about staying in our lanes and doing what is ours to do, we work on that problem. We work on that burden that God has given us that he's called us to and he's equipped us to because it's the burden that he's given us. And when we do it with God, that means we're doing God's work with him. And when we do God's work with him, that means that he is with us. 
And if peace is not the absence of conflict, it's loneliness. And God is the one who's given us peace. Then we need to be doing what God has us to do. We need him with us. And that's how we get peace. If you got your Bible today, we're going to be in John 13 and John 18. So if you got just John 13, John 18, you can kind of put your finger in one or the other. We're going to be looking at a guy named Peter. And we're going to be looking at Peter leading up to and right after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. And we're going to see a little bit about his life and how it can affect our peace and how it can affect our lives today. And, and uh, when we read the Gospels, this is Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. We see the story of Jesus, but we're also introduced to his disciples. These are 12 men who left everything to follow Jesus in the Gospels introduced to this man named Simon and later Jesus named changed his name to Peter that's another story for another sermon but Peter was a talker any of you guys talkers in the room does ever your mouth get ahead of your thoughts does anyone is that, is that just me in here because that happens to me a lot a lot of times I'll say something and like my mouth my mind is trying to catch it as it's leaving my mouth and I'm like no but it but but I've already, it's already gone right it's already gone anybody else like that you can just nod your head if that's you how many of you guys are just measured every word that you say? I envy you. Like, I wish that I was like that. You know, I'm, I'm just not that type of person. Right. And, and Peter was like this. Peter was a talker. He had a habit of saying whatever was popped in his head. And he was usually when Jesus would ask the disciples a question, Peter was usually the guy that would be the first to answer. He was the kid in class that always had his hand up, you know, like, like calling me, Jesus, calling me. I want to I want to answer this question. And, and like for me, like I tell my kids this somewhere between your brain and your mouth. God gave you a filter. You need to use it. You guys ever heard something like that? Use the filter. But I, I'm really the worst. I'm the worst at this. Like I will just say things and then think about it later. And Liz will tell me, yeah, you probably shouldn't have said that. And I just I just do that. I do that all the time. And I look back on conversations and things that happen. And I think to myself, why did I say that? Why did I not say that? Why, what happened there? Maybe you're like me. Maybe we can all relate to Peter on some level where our words and our actions get ahead of our brain. Last week we celebrated Easter. This is the resurrection of Jesus. But before Jesus was arrested and he was taken, and he was tried and he was crucified. Peter was like super bullish in his support of Jesus. Like he was like, Jesus, whatever you go, whatever you do, whatever's happening to you, like I'm going to be right there. I'm going to be fighting with you. Like we're just going to do this together. Like that was how he approached it. And in John chapter 13, Jesus went around the room and he washed his disciples feet. This is right before Jesus knew he was going to get arrested. This is right before Jesus knew he was going to get crucified. He went around the room and he washed his disciples feet. And this was the servant's job in that culture. This wasn't something that like the master, the Lord did. That wasn't something that, that, that someone did to go around the room and wash the feet of people. You can imagine it was a dusty and arid climate, a lot like Arizona in the summer. And these guys were wearing sandals and it was probably nasty, like gross, like gross, gross, gross. But Jesus knelt down and he washed their feet. Let's read the story in John chapter 13, verse Three, Jesus, knowing that the father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. Now, wait, this is quite a statement from John with what's about to, uh, to happen. So you got to read like John's like, let me give you some context for what's about to go down. 
So let me give you some context for this foot washing story. This isn't just some guy who's washing people's feet. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given everything into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist and he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel and that was wrapped around him. So Jesus is going from disciple to disciple to disciple, just having a personal moment with each and every one of them, washing their feet, the dirtiest, nastiest part of their body. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you understand. And Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share in me. To which Peter said, Lord, not only my feet now, but wash my head and my hands too. Like he's just like, you're like, oh, Jesus, go ahead, do it all now. If I can't be a part of what you're doing, do it all. Like not just my feet, everything. So Peter protested and then he was like, okay, let's do everything. Let's just go ahead and knock it out. So again, this guy is constantly getting ahead of himself, making mistakes, saying the wrong thing, doing the wrong thing. Let's continue in verse 36 of that chapter. Simon Peter told him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me, but you will follow afterward. And Peter said, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. This is Jesus leading up to his crucifixion. And he says to Jesus, Peter says, I will follow you forever. Wherever you're going, I will be there right next to you. I will do the I will be there. I will fight with you. I will do this. And Jesus said, Peter, we won't even get to mourning before you're going to deny me three times. We're not even going to get that. You're not even going to get to the next day before you're going to deny me, before you're going to turn your back on me. Peter says, I will battle with you to the end. And Jesus says, you're going to deny me three times before the sun comes up. John chapter 18, this is later on when Jesus is getting arrested. So, so Judas, the guy who betrayed Jesus, having procured a band of soldiers, this is 18 verse 3, having procured a band of soldiers, some officers of the chief priests and the Pharisees went there with lanterns, this is in the garden, and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing what all would happen to him, came forward and said, who do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. And Jesus said to them, I am he. They drew back and fell on the ground. Now, interesting little point, little side note. We'll step away from Peter for a second. When Jesus used these words, in the original language, the words that Jesus used were, I am. When they ask him, who, who are you seeking? And, and, and he says, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus says, I am he. But the, the words in the original language says, I am. When we read Exodus chapter 3, verse 13 and 14, Moses asked of God, if I come to the people of Israel and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me. And they ask me, well, what's his name? And, and God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent you. I am is the name that God gave 
for himself. And so when Jesus was in the garden and these people came to arrest him, he, they asked who, is, who are, were seeking Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus says, I am. We get a glimpse here of Jesus's power. And these men who came to arrest him, they didn't fall to the ground and worship. No, they were there to arrest him and they actually did arrest him. They fell to the ground in their sin, even uh, even when Jesus declared his God given name. This is a historical prelude to what is going to happen in, a, in Philippians chapter two. Philippians chapter two says this in, in two verse 10. So at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, our father. And a, a, a theologian named Ari Whitaker said this, all things be brought into subjection to him, even though those who do not have allegiance to him. And so we see these guys come to address Jesus, they are come to arrest Jesus, and Jesus says, I am, and they fall back and they fall to the ground because Jesus is Lord of all. Back to the story. Verse 7. So he asked him again, Who do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. Peter, James, and John were with him. Let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that has been spoken of those whom you gave me. I have not lost one. Then Simon Peter, this is our guy again, Simon Peter. Simon Peter shows up and having a sword, he drew it and he struck the ear of the high priest servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So the Bible just tells us a little detail there. The servant's name was Malchus. So when you meet Malchus one day, hopefully we'll, hopefully came to, you'll just be, hey, you're the ear guy. You know, you can do that, right? We know who Malchus is. Malchus' ear was cut off. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword in its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the father has given me? Peter pulls a sword out and cuts this guy's ear off. And many of Jesus' disciples, here's what you have to know about what was happening right now. Many of Jesus' disciples thought that Jesus had come to overthrow Rome. Rome had conquered Jerusalem. They had conquered the Israelites. They were kind of in control of everything. And so they thought that Jesus had, would come and he would overthrow the oppressors that, that were over them. You can imagine Peter thinking this, these guys come to, address, to arrest Jesus. So these guys came to arrest Jesus. Peter thinks in his mind that Jesus is going to be the one to overthrow the people who are oppressing us. And so Peter's like, OK, yeah, let's start the revolution. Come on, let's go. Like, that's what he does. He pulls his, his, his sword out. And he, he strikes the guy. And, and, and but Jesus rebukes him. And here's the thing. If you're worried about Malchus and you're here today and you're like, man, this is kind of extreme. He cuts the guy's ear off. If you're worried about Malchus. Jesus and Luke, it tells us that Jesus uh, healed the guy's ear on the spot and everything was, was fine with him. Yet they still arrested Jesus and they took him to the high priest. So again, Peter, he says the things he says, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to do these things. Jesus, you shouldn't wash my feet. You shouldn't do these things. He's constantly getting ahead of himself. Does this like resonate with any of you guys? As I was like putting this together and I'm studying, I'm like, man, Peter's like me. Constantly getting ahead of myself. I'm constantly like, saying the wrong things, doing the wrong things. When, when Jesus is constantly like checking me like, Jeff, why did you do that? Why did you say that? Why did you? And so like I'm constantly thinking like that. Later on, Jesus was arrested. They took him to the high priest. While in the courtyard, a few verses later, this is in John chapter 18, verse 17, this happens. A servant girl was at the door and said to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? What did Peter say? I'm not. First time he denied him. 
Verse 25, now Simon Peter was standing warming, warming himself by a fire. So they said to him, you're also not one of these disciples, are you? He denied it and said again, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? And Peter denied it again. And at once the rooster crowed. Peter, the man who said that he would die for Jesus, who was ready to start the revolution for him, denies Jesus three times when Jesus' life was at stake. For some of us, we look back on things that we've said and we shake our heads in shame. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you're like, man, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. You identify with Peter. You can, you can imagine how Peter felt in that moment of the shame and of the guilt that he had felt in that moment. Many other, others of us look back at things that we did in shame and we feel total shame for what our past was and things that, that, that happened to us and behind us and things that we should have said, things that we should have done. We look back and we look at our past and we just see ourselves as a failure. Can you imagine how Peter saw himself in this moment? I was supposed to be the guy that stood by Jesus' side to the very end. I told him I would do that. I told him that I would be there for him. I told him that he wouldn't have to go through this alone. I told him that I would stand by his side and fight with him, but yet I just denied him three times. Can you imagine how Peter felt? For most of us, we can. For most of us, we can. We look at our past, we look at our sin, we look at our mistakes, and we are trapped wishing that we could have done or said things differently. I'm like that all the time. I'm like that all the time. I wish I could have said that. I wish I could go back and say that differently. I, I wish I could have done things differently. I even did something like that even last night. I wish I could have said something different. I wish I could have handled that situation differently. Peter was there. He denied him. And Jesus was dead. That was the reality of the story at this point in Scripture. At this point when John tells the story, that is where Peter was. But it was not the end of the story. And that's something that you and I need to get our heads wrapped around. Those of us who feel trapped in our sin, trapped in our shame, trapped in our guilt. This is not the end of the story for Peter. After the resurrection in John 21, John, Jesus appears to the disciples, but he pulls Peter aside. And in John chapter 21, verse 15, this is what happened. When they, they had ate and finished breakfast. So Jesus likes breakfast too. I like breakfast. Jesus said to Peter, Simon... Son of John, do you love me more than these? What does more than these mean? I would say probably more than anything else. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than anything else? He said to him, Lord, yes, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. Jesus said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter grieved because he had said this to him the third time. And he says, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know everything and you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. See, for most of us, it would just take one time for Jesus to ask the question, but you have to remember that Peter denied Jesus three times. So how many times did Jesus ask him the question, did he love him? 
three times. Jesus gave him the opportunity for every time that he failed, for every mistake that he made, for every time that he denied him. Jesus gave him an opportunity to profess his love to Jesus, to say, Jesus, you know that I love you. Jesus, you know that I'm, I'm with you. And here's the thing. Jesus already knew this before he even asked Peter. But Jesus was covering over Peter's past and his mistakes. It, it, the good news about the resurrection is that you are no longer defined by your past, your sin or your regrets. Second Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone's in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Jesus gives us a new identity and a new story. Jesus gives you a new identity and a new story. So if you're in here today and you don't have peace because you're stuck in your past, you're stuck in your mistakes, you're stuck in your shame, you're stuck in what you should have said or what you shouldn't have done or what you shouldn't have said and what you shouldn't have done. If you're rehashing the same failures over and over and over in your mind, you need to allow Jesus to give you a new story. Jesus gives us peace from our past. Jesus gives us peace from our past. And so if you're in here today and you're like, man, I identify with this guy, Peter, so much. I've said the wrong things. I've done the wrong things, even to the point of denying God. Jesus gives you the opportunity for a fresh start. Jesus gives us peace from our past. There are other, uh, there's other of us in here that maybe you understand that your past is covered. Maybe you're in here and you're like, man, I, I'm good with my past. Like Jesus has forgiven me. Like I, I'm good there. Like we're, we're good. Uh, I've turned over a new leaf. Maybe you're in here and you're like, man, I used to have habits that I don't have anymore. Praise God for that. I used to have sin that I don't struggle with that I don't struggle with anymore. Praise God for that. The past maybe is something that you don't necessarily worry about. You would, if I did ask you, what do you worry about? You would say that I'm worried about the future. I'm worried about what's around the next corner. I'm worried about how I'm going to pay that bill. I'm worried about getting over that sickness. I'm worried about if she leaves. I'm worried about if I lose this job. I'm worried about if I don't get that job. When Liz and I were first married, uh, I was consumed by anxiety. I can tell you this. I was, I was an anxious kid, 20-year-old kid when I got married. Anxious. Somehow that my work would not be enough and therefore I wouldn't be enough. And I remember only months into our marriage, the biggest time my wife ever called me out on hypocrisy as a pastor, months into our marriage. She said this to me. She said, you're a pastor and you tell people that they can trust God to take care of them, but you don't trust God to take care of you. And that's how I live my life. Anxious, anxiety, just fearful of what was around the next corner. In the psychology of warfare, one of the most debilitating things that can happen to a soldier is not the last bullet that missed or the last bomb that went off. One of the most debilitating things that can happen to the soldier is waiting for the next one. Waiting for the next bomb to, that is going to go off. Waiting for the next bullet that's going to come by. That, that, that your mind just gets consumed with what could happen. What could happen next. And some of us, we live our lives like that. We're worried about the next thing that's going to happen. We worry about tomorrow. We worry about the things that, that we can't control. We trust God for today to cover our past sin, but we're petrified that there is a bomb that's going to come off sometime in some, around some corner. Listen, in the path to peace, God empowers us to live today. 
not in the past, not in the future. He empowers you to live today. When Jesus taught us to pray, he, he said this. He said, give us this day our daily bread. Give, us, give me the bread that I need for today. I, I, tomorrow there'll be bread that you're going to give me that I need for tomorrow, but give me the bread that I need for today. All you need is bread for today because you don't need tomorrow's bread until tomorrow. Does this mean that we don't plan financially, that we don't, you know, go to the doctor and get checkups, that we don't plan, ahead, that we don't like just do basic human adult responsible things? No, you still need to do that. You still need to do that. But we, we have to be a good steward, but we don't need to waste today's energy on tomorrow's worry. So maybe you're like living, like Peter, living in the past, living just like, like shame and, and guilt, and you're just carrying that around. Maybe you're free from that, but maybe you're using tomorrow's worry for today. Jesus tells us this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor they reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? And why are you Anxious about clothing. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Then Jesus says this, O you of little faith, therefore don't be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, the unbelievers, they seek after these things. But your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Whatever anxiety that you're carrying today about whatever's around the next corner, Tomorrow has anxieties for itself. Leave tomorrow for tomorrow. God is going to give you the peace that you need today. He's going to give you the comfort that you need today, the bread that you need to make it through today. He's going to give it to you today. And so you can trust him for today. You can trust him for today. And when the sun rises tomorrow and tomorrow becomes today, you can trust him for that day as well. And the day three weeks from now, you can trust him for that. Stop living in fear of what's around the next corner. Stop living in fear of what, of anxiety, of what things that, that you can't control, things that are uh, totally out of, out of your scope of influence. Stop worrying about tomorrow. Just focus on today and ask God to give you bread for today. And I promise you, he will do it. So if you're stuck in the past, or you're paralyzed by your future, God wants to give you the peace that you need today. God empowers us to live today, not in the past, not in the future.